Well, if that doesn't inspire you, I think you've uh, experienced some kind of cardiac failure or something. That's powerful stuff. In case you're wondering, that video excerpt was from Admiral McRaven, who became the commander of all the Navy SEALs at a point in his life. And he got so much commentary from this uh, speech that he made at a university in Texas that he wrote a book based on the speech. If you'd like to get that book, it's available in uh, Amazon, Kindle form, whatever you'd like. The name of the book is simply Make Your Bed, and the man's last name is McRaven. And uh, I read the book this morning before church in 30 minutes. So it's a short read and uh, 10 chapters, and you can, you can find a great deal of encouragement from the book. We're not pushing, you know, him or his book or the military or anything like that. It's all about don't give up inspiration and passion for what you do. Now, we're going to be talking today about assignments. Assignments. And I want to tell you that God made you and God does not make mistakes. Now, I want you to think about what I just said. God made you, and God does not make mistakes. We make mistakes, but God does not. So you are not a mistake. You are not the byproduct of a moment of passion between your parents some years ago. You are an ordained vessel that God intended to live and you have a reason for being on this planet. It's not a reason you get to make up on your own. Now, people do that, but that's the, the principle of substitution. Substitutionary destiny is not the will of God. What our job is, is to find out what God's purpose in us is. And then to fulfill that purpose. Most people substitute all that with finding some way to pay the bills. I want to tell you, you are here to do more than pay the bills. God has a plan, an assignment for every one of us. I don't care how far away from God you are. You may be here in this house today. You may not even believe in God. Doesn't, doesn't change the fact. He made you, and he has a plan. And he has a purpose for you being here. Doesn't matter how young you are, God has a purpose and a plan. Doesn't matter how old you are, God has a plan and a purpose. Colonel Sanders was 66 years old before he started selling chicken out of the trunk of his car. He retired and found out he only had $106 to his name. He looked back across his life and said, well, there's only one thing I'm really good at, and that's cooking chicken. Five years later, Kentucky Fried Chicken was a nationwide, multi-million, possibly billion-dollar business. All because an old guy with white hair and a funny necktie decided he wasn't going to quit. I want to talk to you about assignments today. I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to start reading at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. 
By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By the way, you can go to, to Israel today and see the walls of Jericho, and you can see where Joshua burned them after they fell. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, who through faith, who through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, who gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain a better, sacri- a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only with us would they be made perfect. Now, Heavenly Father, I ask you today to let me decrease so that you might increase. I ask that you would accomplish your perfect will in these next few moments. And let these beautiful people not so much hear or see me, but let them hear and see your voice through your word. Holy Spirit, anoint this sacred time together that as we leave this place today, none of us would ever again be the same. We thank you and praise you for making this word poignant to our hearts. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Assignments. Assignments. Noah was given an assignment. His assignment was to build a boat, a big boat. Because Noah completed his assignment, he literally saved the world. Abraham was given an assignment. His assignment was to become the father of the Jewish nation. Abraham was given an assignment to go to a place where he didn't really know anything about it and to walk the length and the breadth of the land. And the assignment was every place you set your foot, I'm going to give it to you and your descendants as an inheritance. Because Abraham completed that assignment, the Jews have the promised land, and Israel is a state nation today. David was given an assignment. That assignment was was begun watching sheep and playing the harp and practicing with a sling. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I go to the grocery store, I'll come to the checkout line, and I'll have the strangest collection of stuff. And it doesn't seem to be related at all. And the lady behind the checkout will kind of look at me. And I just look at her and smile. And she checks out my stuff and never says anything. But I know they're thinking, this guy is crazy. Who buys this combination of stuff? Why would God send a little boy to keep sheep, number one? Secondly, to play a harp. And thirdly, to get real good with a sling. What what in the world is that combination of skills going to get anybody? It rocketed David to the throne of Israel because keeping the sheep taught him fearless courage and watch care. Being good with a sling enabled him to protect that flock 
made him a fearless warrior. He killed lions and bears hand-to-hand combat. Hand-to-hand combat. It's in the Bible. Lions and bears. All he was missing was tigers. Then we could have said, oh my. So when it came to a a 9 to 13 foot tall giant, David just really wasn't all that intimidated. Don't get discouraged when you face some giants along the way. As you face them and conquer them, they are preparing you to conquer the bigger ones down the road. I may not say anything more profound than that today. David got good with a harp. What in the world does that have to do with anything? That's not very macho. I remember the kids at my school. I was a football player, baseball player, a hunter, a fisherman, survivalist guy. Lifted weights, went to the gym all the time. I remember the guys used to pick at me incessantly because my mom made me play the piano. And I got to tell you, I grew to hate it. Son, you need to practice your piano 30 minutes a day. I took nine years of classical piano, and I could sit down and play any kind of classical piece of music right off sheet music. And I was fine with that. Did concerts, not just me, but with other people, as like a, more like a recital than a concert. So don't, don't get the wrong impression. I was never a concert solo pianist, but we did little recitals in local town and stuff like that. One day I decided, I want to learn how to play this thing by ear, pro- improvisationally. So I sat down, and I started playing, and over time I taught myself how to play by ear. And... The Lord used that to help Donna and me engage in our first full-time ministry 20 in 20, almost 40 years ago, <laughs> a long time ago. And we did praise and worship, and I, I did praise and worship from the keyboard for a long, long time. Who would have thought that somebody who could have played football or baseball with his life career, that playing the piano had anything to do with that? Who would have thought King David playing a harp would have helped him write the biggest book of the Bible, Psalms. Wow. You never know what skill set God's given you is going to come in handy someday. So don't treat anything in your life as flippant or accidental. God has a plan. I said God has a plan. Josiah returned Israel to God. He had an assignment. He carried it out. He ground all the idols in Israel to powder and brought Israel back to God. Paul took the gospel to the Gentiles. That was his assignment because Paul completed that assignment. We now know what Jesus did for us today. Jesus had the greatest assignment of all, to come, to suffer, to die on the cross. And because Jesus completed his assignment, he saved us all. Assignments. Assignments. Number one, the hardships of training seem overdone until we get to the war zone. Any person who's ever been through any kind of military training, from the Army to the Marines to the Green Beret to the the British SAS to the CIA SAD, Special Activities Division, you didn't know the CIA had their own special forces. They do. They're called SAD. And anyone they go to meet is going to be sad. (laughs) It seems like these drill instructors just have a fetish with suffering. It seems like they love to torture you. It seems like they enjoy making you dig holes in the ground and do incessant push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups and run and run and run and run and carry things and, 
and do all kinds of PT and all kinds of calisthenics and all kinds of training. And it's repetitious and it goes on and it goes on and it seems overdone. But when you get to the theater of war, I've never met a soldier, not one, who told me, you know, I still think basic training was overdone. Not one. They were all glad. You want to hear uh, what Navy SEALs actually train, how they actually train? I'm going to, I'm going to read a, a brief excerpt to you here. The average member of the United States Navy, Sea, Air, and Land Team, SEAL, spends over a year in a series of formal training environments before being awarded, before being awarded the Special Warfare Operator Naval Rating and the Navy Enlisted Classification, Combat Swimmer SEAL, or in the case of commissioned naval officers, the designation Naval Special Warfare SEAL Officer. All Navy SEALs must attend and graduate from their ratings 24-week A school known as Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL or BUD school, a basic parachutist course, and then the 26-week SEAL qualification training program. All sailors entering the SEAL training pipeline with a medical rating or those chosen by the Naval Special Warfare Command must also attend the six-month advanced medical training course, 18D, and subsequently earn the NEC SO5392 Naval Special Warfare Medic before joining an operational team. Once outside the formal schooling environment, SEALs entering a new team at the beginning of an operational rotation can expect 18 more months of training interspersed with leave and other time off before each six-month deployment. So when we talk about training, it seems overdone. We spend an average of over, well over a million dollars training each Navy SEAL in this country. Each one of them before they go active duty has fired well over a million rounds of ammunition. What, they, what you don't know, and they do show it in one of the old Navy SEAL movies, is that one of the things that takes the most time to master, you never hear them talk about this because they kind of don't want everybody to know they can do this, but I know they can do it. They learn how to shoot from the hip with their rifles and their handguns they learn how to shoot down here rather than having to come up and aim. And the way they do that is they start by taking BB guns at close range, like from here to the front seat, and they just hold a gun, and they get used to bringing it up and shooting from the hip, and it's just a BB gun. And they're shooting at targets about this big. And every time the target uh, is hit by the BB, it goes through, makes a hole. So after a while, they get good, and they, then they change distances on the stationary targets, and, and they get so good they can, they can put a little group like this in the center of the plate every time they shoot. And it's, it's so much cheaper than live fire, and it's safer. You can do it in a small room. And, and since you're just training, it's not necessary to, to shoot live fire 5.56 five, ammo. So they do it with BBs. Well, after they've done it with BBs for a while with stationary targets, then they start shooting at moving targets. And they'll roll things across the floor, and they'll shoot those. And when they get good at that, then they'll start throwing the plates up in the air, and they'll shoot those out of the air. And they keep doing this as a part of their rotation. They don't do this completely, but they keep doing it as a part of their rotation until, this is the truth, they get so good at it, you can flip a BB up in the air, and they can shoot the BB about eight times out of ten with a BB. You knock the BB out of the air. Now, that's good shooting. And the reason is somebody gets you in a situation and says, and you've got a gun, so put your gun down. Okay, okay, okay. And you're putting that gun down, you get to right here. Pow! And it's over. Hostage situation remedied. So they do a lot of training. And it seems overdone, it seems ridiculous until you get in theater and suddenly you're appreciative of every push-up you did. 
You're appreciative of every mile you were forced to run. You're thankful when you're swimming out there in the ocean and suddenly something goes wrong with your rebreather unit and you have to fix that or something goes wrong with your air supply or you get a tear in your, in your neoprene suit, whatever it might be. You're suddenly grateful and thankful for the training that you received because it means the difference between life and death for the SEALs. Let me tell you something. God has a plan for you. And what you're going through right now might just seem outrageously over the top, testing you and proving you and making life difficult for you. I'm here to tell you God knows what he's doing. And when the battles of life come, what he's doing the day that seems overdone and unpleasant and you don't understand it, God knows exactly what he's doing. He is preparing us for what is to come. And when it comes, we're going to be glad for the times of preparation in our lives. Next, the end goal is not to be well prepared. Everybody thinks the purpose of training is to be well prepared. That is not the purpose of training. The purpose of training is to complete the assignment for which you were prepared. What good does it do a Navy SEAL to walk away from California with his trident on his chest and his uniform on and go tell all his friends, guess what? I graduated from Bud School and I went through all the qualification course. I got my trident. I... Check it out. I am a Navy SEAL. Ain't that cool? Wow. Yeah, I learned a lot from training. We talk about this in training. We talk about that in training. I learned this and this and this and this. I've got books of notes I've taken during SEAL school class. I'm an expert on SEAL training. I know everything that SEALs are supposed to know. Man, I tell you what, I'm a SEAL, and I'm happy, and I'm thankful. What good is that going to do the United States of America? We don't train them so they can parade around and be proud to be Navy SEALs. We train them to go on assignments. Assignments most of them to this day will not discuss because much of what they do is questionable in terms of where they do it and how they do it and to whom they do it. And it remains classified for those reasons. And there are good reasons. National security is involved, and so it should be. The point I'm making to you is that we don't train so that we can walk around and go, hey, look at me. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus, and Jesus loves me. I found Jesus. I've got books and books of notes I've taken in church. I know everything there is to know about being a Christian. I'm saved, and I'm glad. I go to church, and we rehearse Christianity at church every week, and I'm so prepared. I'm so ready. I'm just full of Jesus Christ. I am a Christian, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud to be a Christian. Well, that's great, but that's not why we're being prepared. We're being prepared for an assignment. And like Admiral McRaven said in the video, I can guarantee you a large part of the assignment for which you're being prepared is to change your world for the good of Jesus Christ. You might not understand how you're, what you're going through right now or how your skill set or how you as a person is going to ever play a part in the great machinery as a cog or gear or wheel in the great machinery of God's kingdom to do anything significant. Years ago, cars used to have little things called distributor caps. It didn't matter how big the car was, how powerful the engine. If you went out, raised the hood, and took out the distributor cap, the car wasn't going anywhere. Today, I'm sure there are parts and pieces that Terry Hollis could go out to our cars in the parking lot while we're here and pull out one little part. That big old machine is not going to go anywhere. How many of you have ever had a little tiny wound on your finger 
or toe. Anybody ever had a little wound like that? It's amazing how you don't notice that finger or that toe until you get a hurt, until you get a boo-boo, and then everything touches it. Everything scrapes it. Everything hurts it. Little things in life matter. You might not understand why playing a harp is important to your life. might not make any sense to you why learning how to sling a rock is going to play into your future. What you're being trained to do, what you're being taught to do, might not make sense when you contemplate the future vision of your destiny. But I can assure you that God has a plan and God has an assignment. And what he is training you and me to do right now is going to play a part in that assignment. You might not understand it, but you know what? You don't have to. You just have to be faithful in it. We don't always get to understand what God is doing. What he requires of us is that we cooperate with him in what he is doing. Next, same soldier, same training, many different assignments. We all go through life, and it's a journey. And I'm going to tell you something about life. Change is a part of it. Change happens. Change is coming. And when it comes, God wants us prepared for it. God wants us ready. The same soldier with the same training may not always have the same assignment. John J. Smith, who is a Navy SEAL, is not just going to be sent to Afghanistan. He may be sent to any part of the world. Mountains, swamplands, inner cities. He may not always use the same kit items, the same weapons. He may be sent to perch in a hidden roost on the side of a mountain with high-powered optics and just observe the enemy for intelligence-gathering purposes, and that's all he does for three or four weeks. Then he rendezvous with a submarine, takes him back to a ship, and gives his report. That may be all he does for that time. Just because we have a certain skill set doesn't mean we only use it in one area or in one kind of an assignment. So don't get narrow-minded with God's will for your life. God's will can take circuitous routes. It can take us to different places. God's will can send us here, send us there, move us around. Same soldier, same training, many different assignments. I started to read to you the list of combat missions the SEALs have done, and then I thought it'd be better just to show you some of what they do. Watch this. And that is just the tip of the iceberg, I can assure you. Same soldier, same training, many different assignments. Be prepared for the changes that are going to come your way in life. Be ready to use the skills God has given you in a variety of applications. It's not just one application. It's not just one area. It's not just one dynamic. God's going to use you in more ways than you can possibly imagine. Next, soldiers are trained to help each other in battle no matter what group they belong to. In the war theater, if, an, if a, a Marine and an Army guy wind up in the same foxhole somehow, they're not going to look at each other and go, hey, you're not a Marine. Hey, you're not an Army guy. and I'm not going to cover your back. You're on your own, dude. They're not going to do that because we're on the same side. We might be in different subgroups of that side, but we're on the same side. 
We're on the same team. This is very important. We don't parse ourselves up and divide ourselves up so strictly that we won't reach across dividing barriers to help each other. Navy SEALs have a credo, no man left behind. As far as I've read, as of today, they've never left anybody behind. It's a very sad affair when they bring somebody home who's fallen in battle. But the reality of it is, our soldiers help one another. Now listen to me. The Bible says that we should do everything in Ephesians chapter 4 possible to keep the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. I want to see revival come to America and in an effort to see that, I have created a 501c3 nonprofit tax-exempt ministry just like a church called Renew America. And if I can get this off the ground at some point, one of the legs of Renew America is that within each church, because revival is not going to come from Washington, D.C., no matter who's in the White House or who's in Congress. Revival is not going to come from Hollywood or the media. Revival is not going to come from the grassroots of a culture that's out of touch with God and filled with hatred. The only organism in the world through which a mighty move of God has any chance of coming is the church. But how can that happen when we've parsed ourselves up, we've divided ourselves out, and even within churches, there's this group opposed to that group, and this people's got an idea about that, and this people's got an idea about that? It's an amazing thing how much division can be within one church. I praise God we don't have that here, but I have seen it in the past. And it can happen in large churches, medium-sized churches, small churches, and it cripples the effectiveness of God to move in that body of believers and for God to move through that body of believers. Soldiers are trained to help each other in battle, no matter what group they belong to. I want us to have an attitude in this church of unity. Let me try that again. I want us to have an attitude in this church of unity. Thank you. I want us to have an attitude of peace in this church. I want us to get together and love one another. How hard is that? Just love one another. I got home from going to be with my family this past week, and my little dog, Quinby, he, he just about exploded when I came in the door. I, I've never seen a little dog with so much. I wish I had a tenth of his energy when I get in the door. And he whimpers, and he shows his teeth. <laughs> he's just like, man, he's just going to blow up. He runs around the house, and he can't decide if he wants to lick me or go get his chicken. He only plays with one toy, chicken. So in fear that they'd quit making them, we bought five and put them in a box. <laughs> so we've got chickens for the next five or six years, you know. And Pastor Donna so creatively named it Chicken. He also has one other toy she's so innovatively named Bone. So he has Chicken and Bone. And that's what he plays with. But he, had, he couldn't decide if he wanted to jump into my lap and lick me or, or get me to play chicken with him, you know. He was so excited. I, I want us to have that kind of excitement and passion about the work of God in this church, in this community. So excited to see one another. So excited to come to church. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Where's that in America? 
people come into the driveway and get in the parking lot and get out of their cars and knuckle drag up to the front door. All churches all over the country looks like the night of the living dead coming into the church. Man, we ought to come to church ready to worship, excited about Jesus, passionate about the things of God. I can guarantee you if Jesus came at the snap of my finger, nothing in your life would be important except your knowledge of him and his work in your life. All the stuff that we got going on that we think is so important would suddenly go poof. And all that would matter is what is Jesus Christ in your life. Next, soldiers are deployed on different kinds of assignments all over the world, but the ultimate goal is the same. It's important to understand this. There are churches all over America, churches all over Douglas County, too many churches in Douglas County. (laughs) If you're not careful, there will be one in your closet when you get home today. But um, I've never seen anything like it. Anyway, uh, there's churches everywhere. There's opportunities for the gospel all over the world. And some people do it different. Some people have a different worship style. Some people do more, more uh, southern gospel, you know. Uh, some people have a very traditional style of worship. Some churches, everybody wears suits and ties. Some churches, everybody wears shorts and flip-flops and T-shirts because it's, you know, on the coast, and, and everybody's got to have their coolie. I saw one church didn't have seats or pews, had beanbag chairs and whatever kind of sampan chair, any kind of chair. You want to bring your own chair. They didn't care. You know, wear what you want to wear. You know, it's, uh, I don't know. There are a lot of different styles and kinds and types of worship and You know, we don't contend that any one style is the best or perfect. Every church develops its own style of worship and its own personality and its own community and its own intra-church culture, and that's okay. But we're deployed on different kinds of assignments all over the world. Today, there are evangelists operative in the Assemblies of God. There are pastors doing their work right now. We have children's workers next door doing their thing. We had worship team up here doing a cafe-style worship. Man, wasn't that sweet today? That was good stuff. Pastor Donna doing the little egg. That was so cool. I like that. She just looks so nouveau. She's so cool. I could never look that cool. We got missionaries in countries all over the world today. Right now, some are sleeping. Some are facing life-threatening circumstances. Some are on the Masai Mara. Some are in cities. Some are in South America. Some are in Chile. Some are in Africa. Some are in India, Australia, Eurasia, Europe. There are missionaries all over the world today. Probably even somebody in the scientific study basins in Antarctica is trying to win somebody to Jesus today, I would at least hope. We have teachers, Royal Ranger leaders, mission ed coordinators, college professors at Christian Bible schools, a whole bunch of different kinds of people, soldiers deployed on a variety of missions. But when you really look at it from God's perspective, the whole army is doing one basic job, the ultimate goal, to win people to Jesus Christ and to grow them up, to grow them up. The end goal is the same. I think President Ronald Reagan said it best in his incredible Rendezvous with Destiny speech. Let's listen to an excerpt from that speech. The last best hope of man on earth. I want you to understand today that I'm not promulgating to us that we need to become some militant force. These videos simply serve as an illustration of us doing what God has called us to do. I'm not advocating violence. I'm not advocating war. I'm not, I'm not a proponent of any of that. And we're not trying to push militaristic 
Christianity here at this church. I simply want us to have a visual to cause us to understand what we're talking about today, and that is assignments. These soldiers we see on the screens, they're all operating and doing what they do because they've been sent on assignment, and that assignment has come from a superior officer. And that assignment puts them in places and in situations that require enormous commitment, enormous training, and enormous understanding that sometimes the risk is necessary. We have to operate at our best. Soldiers are deployed on different kinds of assignments all over the world, but the ultimate goal is the same. I want you to know today that God is preparing you for a rendezvous with destiny. I want you to take that phrase from Reagan's speech, a rendezvous with destiny. God's preparing every one of us for a rendezvous with destiny. What is that? What is your destiny and the plan and the purpose and the will of God? Dave, if you'll come play. What is God preparing you for? What is the great assignment that God has for you in the very near future? I can assure you he wants to reveal it to you and he wants you prepared for it more than you want to understand it. Let me read you an excerpt from a book. In fact, it's the book Make Your Bed by Admiral McRaven. Chapter 4, Life's Not Fair. Move on. If you want to change the world, get over being a sugar cookie and keep moving forward. I ran to the top of the sand dune and without hesitation sprinted down the other side, heading full speed toward the Pacific Ocean, fully clothed in my green utility short-billed hat and combat boots. I dove headfirst into the waves as they pounded the beach off Coronado, California. Emerging soaking wet from the water, I saw the SEAL instructor standing on the dune with his arms folded and a piercing glare cut through the morning haze. I heard him yell, you know what to do, Mr. Mack. Indeed, I did. With feigned enthusiasm, I screamed a hearty hoo-yah at the top of my lungs, fell face down into the soft sand, rolling from side to side to ensure that no part of my uniform was left uncovered. Then for good measure, I sat up, reached deep into the ground, and tossed sand into the air to guarantee it found its way to every crevice in my body. Somewhere during the morning's physical training, I had committed a violation of the SEAL training rules. My punishment was to jump into the surf zone, roll around in the sand, and make, my, make myself a sugar cookie. In all of SEAL training, there was nothing more uncomfortable than being a sugar cookie. There were a lot of things more painful and more exhausting, but being a sugar cookie tested your patience and your determination, not just because you spent the rest of the day with sand down your neck, under your arms, and between your legs, but because the act of becoming a sugar cookie was completely indiscriminate. There was no rhyme or reason. You became a sugar cookie at the whim of the instructor. To many of the SEAL trainees, this was hard to accept. Those that strived to be the very best expected they would be rewarded for their stellar performance. Sometimes they were, and then again, sometimes they were not. Sometimes the only thing they got for all their effort was wet and sandy. Feeling like I was sufficiently coated with sand, I ran to the instructor, yelled hoo-yah again, and came to attention, looking me over to see if I met his standard of excellence in sugar cookies was Lieutenant Philip L. Martin, known to his friends as Moki. I, however, was not on a first-name basis with Lieutenant Martin. Moki Martin was the quintessential frogman, born and raised in Hawaii. He was everything I strive to be as a SEAL officer. An experienced Vietnam veteran, he was an expert with every weapon in the SEAL inventory. He was one of the finest skydivers in the teams. 
being a native Hawaiian, he was so skilled in the water that there were few, if any, who could match him. Mr. Mack, do you have any idea why you're a sugar cookie this morning? Martin asked me in a very calm but questioning manner. No, Instructor Martin, I dutifully responded. He said, because, Mr. Mack, life isn't fair. And the sooner you learn that, the better off you will be. A year later, Lieutenant Martin and I were on a first-name basis. I'd completed basic SEAL training. He had been reassigned from the training center to Underwater Demolition Team 11 in Coronado. The more I got to know Moki, the deeper my respect grew for him. In addition to being a superb SEAL operator, Moki was a phenomenal athlete. In the early 1980s, he was on the leading edge of the triathlon craze. He had a beautiful freestyle stroke in the open ocean. His calves and thighs were strong and moved him effortlessly on the long runs. But his real advantage was the bicycle. He and the bike were made for each other. Every morning, he would mount the bike and go for a 30-mile ride up and down the Coronado Silver Strand. There was a flat stretch of, stretch of paved bike path that paralleled the Pacific Ocean. It ran from the city of Coronado to the city of Imperial Beach. With the ocean on one side and the bay on the other, it was one of the most beautiful sections of beach in California. Early one Saturday morning, Moki was out on a training ride along the Silver Strand, head down, pedaling fast. He never saw the oncoming bicycle. At roughly 25 miles an hour, the two bikes collided head on. The bikes crumpled from the impact, slamming the riders together, leaving both men face down on the asphalt path. The first rider rolled over, dusted himself off, struggled to his feet. He was banged up, but otherwise fine. Moki, however, remained face down, unable to move. The paramedics arrived within minutes, stabilized Moki, and transported him to the hospital. Initially, there was hope that the paralysis was temporary. But as the days, months, and years passed, Moki never regained the use of his legs. The crash left him paralyzed from the waist down with limited movement in his arms. For the past 35 years, Moki has been in a wheelchair. In all those years, I never once heard him complain about his misfortune in life. Never once did I hear him ask, why me? Never once did he display an ounce of pity for himself. In fact, after his accident, Moki went on to be an accomplished painter. He fathered a beautiful young girl. He founded and continues to oversee the Super Frog Triathlon that is held every year in Coronado. It's easy to blame your lot in life on some outside force, to stop trying because you believe fate is against you. It's easy to think that where you were raised or how your parents treated you or what school you went to is all that determines your future. Nothing could be further from the truth. The common people and the great men and women are all, all defined by how they deal with life's unfairness. Helen Keller, Nelson Mandela, Stephen Hawking, Malala Yousafzai, and Moki Martin. Sometimes no matter how hard you try, no matter how good you are, you still end up as a sugar cookie. Don't complain. Don't blame it on your misfortune. Stand tall. Look to the future. And drive on. Something that the Admiral said in his speech was that size didn't matter, strength didn't matter, background didn't matter, training didn't matter, race didn't matter. In the end, all that mattered was your will to succeed. That's all that mattered was basically your determination, your perseverance. James 1 says, count it all joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. I want to encourage you today that the only thing that separates winners from losers is this, your will to succeed. The reason I've been in the ministry all these years is Matthew 7, 21, 22, and 23. 
It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform any miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. The two words in that passage that are so potent and apropos to what we're talking about today is will to do the will of God and good to do the will of God not the good things we do not the miracles we do but to do God's will that's what matters it's not the good things that we do that are going to get us into God's presence it's the will of God that's going to please him assignments change God's will can take a circuitous route but he is our commander in chief and he knows what he's doing do you trust that God knows what he's doing today? Are you confident that God knows what he's doing today? Let me tell you something. God has never made a promise to you that he does not intend to keep at some point in your life. If you and I will stay the course, we get distracted through circumstance, scenario, time. We get distracted by assignments that seem other than what God told us he was going to do. God may be taking you on a circuitous route, but he has never forgotten one promise he made. Don't you let the devil or life steal your dream of God's will in your life. In the end, nothing will matter but your will to succeed. So do God's will. And lastly, I'll close with this. Anytime a seal wants to quit... They can. And the instructors try to get them to all the time because they only want the best of the best in the teams. Instructors will tell you on the coldest day when you've been a sugar cookie three times, when you're exhausted in the middle of hell week, knew a guy that paid $250 for an MRE during hell week. MRE is a nasty military ration. Oh, you don't want that. It's not worth $2, much less $250. Average seal sleeps four hours the whole week and eats hardly anything. They try their best to do everything but kill you to get you to quit because they only want the most determined people with the strongest will to succeed. All a seal has to do to get out of it all, to end it immediately, take his hat, walk up to the front deck, put it down on the porch, and there's a Navy ship's bell hanging there with a rope on it. Ding, ding, ding. And immediately you get to go in, take a nice warm shower, lay down and take a nap and eat the biggest meal as much as you want anything. It's instant luxury. All you got to do is ring that bell. And those instructors are trying to get you to ring that bell. And they'll take you by there and let you smell that fried chicken and let you smell that meatloaf and let you smell the cardboard box that was shipped in. Even that smells good. All you got to do is put your hat down and ring your bell. And a class that starts with 150 men before it's over will be down to about 35. And you'll see all those helmets lined up. And you'll have heard that bell toll three times for every one. Because they bailed out because it got too hard. Let me encourage you today. When life is hard, when it's Wednesday of hell week and you're up to your neck in the mud flats, don't give up in the name of Jesus. When things are difficult and you feel life screaming at you to quit, cash it in, ring the bell. Don't you ring the bell. Sing a song, distract yourself, get into the word of God, but don't you ring that bell. Don't you put that helmet down. Don't you give up. Don't you quit. God has a plan. God has a mission. God has an assignment. Don't you ever give up. Thank you.
Don't you ever ring that bell. Don't you ever quit. God has not forgotten anything he ever promised you. Stand true. Stand firm. And at the end of it all, we will prevail. And if we live, we belong to the Lord. And if we die, we belong to the Lord. Whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. Let's all stand.